Very good. The rest of you take your Bibles, hopefully, and, and I'm not against the Bible on the phone. I think it's wonderful. But I think it, I'd love for you to bring your actual Bible, the uh, paper kind, to church with you for several reasons. Number one, it's a good testimony to be walking in with that. Number two, um, I'm forever telling you to underline certain things, or, and you may want to make a note here, like, you know, the preacher's way off, check this out later, <laughs> things like that. So uh, bring, your, bring your, your Bible to church with you, and this morning find your way to Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter number 5, Romans 5. And as you're turning there, um, the, the title of the sermon today did I not pull that in there? I may not have pulled that sermon in there. Paul, it's called um, His Bad, My Bad. If you'll just type that in the search bar and pull that up. That's the title of the sermon today. It's His Bad, My Bad. Um, and I'm going to explain what that means. I had a friend of mine, a, a young man I led to Christ when I first came here as a pastor of the church. And uh, his dad was one of the most interesting people I'd ever met. And... Uh, one, he told me a story when this, the young man told me a story that one day they brought their report cards, him and his older brother, brought their report cards home, and he had good grades, all A's, one B. His brother had all F's and D's. And so the father said, okay, all F's and D's. I'm going to give you a preview of your future. Because if, if, this, is, if this is what you want to do with your life, and this is the kind of work you know, you're putting into your schooling and education, I'm going, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And so he told the brother, he said, you're going to go out, and they lived on a two-acre property. He said, I want you to dig me a ditch three feet wide, three feet deep, around the entire two acres. Then he turned to the, the other son, who was a young man I led to Christ, he said, and you're going to help him. And, and, and this was the kind of father that you didn't question. So out they went, took them all week. They dug three feet wide, three feet deep, around two acres, then when they got it all done, he said, okay, now tomorrow you're going to go fill it all back in. And at that point, the young man could take no more. And he said to his father, he said, but dad, I got good grades. He said, I know you did, but in case you had a different idea, I wanted you to know what life you might have if you bring home bad grades like your brother did. <laughs> and we look at that and we would say, that's not what? Fair. Fair, right? But there's something, and, and it is a logical fallacy called guilty by association, Reminds me of a story I heard one time that a drunk man who smelled of, of liquor sat down on a subway seat next to a priest. And the man's tie was stained. His face was plastered with red lipstick. He had a half-empty bottle of gin sticking out of his torn coat pocket. He opens his newspaper and he starts to read. And after a few minutes, the man turned to the priest and he said, Say, Father, what causes arthritis? My son, it's caused by loose living, being with cheap, wicked women, too much alcohol, and contempt for your fellow man. He said, well, I'll be, the drunk mutter, returning to his paper. And the priest, thinking about what he had said, nudged the man and apologized. He said, I'm very sorry. I didn't mean to come on so strong. How long have you had arthritis? Oh, I don't have it, the man said, but I was just reading here that the Pope does. <laughs> <laughs> And the reason that's a fallacy is guilt by association is because you're saying, well, just because you are in this group, then you must be, and you fill in that blank. And we don't like that, do we? Uh, we don't like the idea that because somebody else does something wrong, we all have to pay for it. Because that doesn't seem what? What's the word? Fair. Fair. But here's the thing I want to try to share with you this morning. And I want you to hear me clearly. When it comes to our standing before God, one day we're going to literally stand before Him. I ask you, do you want fair? Or do you want mercy? Just ponder that, would you? You want fair? You want justice or do you want mercy? Here's some questions I hope to answer in our time together this morning. Have you ever wondered why you sin? 
Have you ever wondered why you're, you don't have to teach your children to lie? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? We have these little babies here uh, with us today. You know, you won't have to teach her to throw a fit. Although she may learn that from watching you. <laughs> right? Right? But isn't it, isn't it amazing you don't have to teach that baby to sin? There's a reason for that, folks. And at a minimum today, I hope to unpack that for you. And I'm going to tell you in advance, you're not going to like it. I tell you in advance, I haven't enjoyed it this week. There's some truths that are hard to swallow. This is one of them. And the question is, can anyone, did God create us unable to keep his law? Were we created with an inability to keep God's law? And the answer is yes and no. More, more appropriately, no and yes. And I'm going to explain that to you. Matter of fact, let me stop talking about it and let's look in our scriptures today at Romans 5 beginning in verse 12. I wish we had time to really go back and get into the context of the rest of the first part of Romans 5. But if I did that, we would, we would be here a long time. I just know myself. So I'm going to stay right in 12. And I'm going to encourage you to go home and look at the context and how Paul leads up to verse 12. Because there's a therefore in there. So what he, the, the facts that he just established cause him to come to this conclusion. But here's his conclusion. Just as through, what's your scripture say? Two words. One man. And notice, notice the word one. I did this. I underlined the word one in the next few verses. You're not going to believe how many times the word one is used between here and verse 21, the end of the chapter. Just as through one man sin entered the world. Who is that one man, Ben? What one man did sin enter the world through? What is his name? The first man ever created. Right. I was afraid he was going to say Sam, his brother, but that's good. That's a good answer. It's Adam. So through one man, sin entered to the world. And then what came as a result of sin, Paul says, and death through sin. And thus, do you see his argument here? And thus, death spread to who? All men. Why did death spread to all men? And what's the last part? Because what? All sinned. Alright? So you get that? One man, sin comes to the world. Because sin showed up, what showed up with it? Death. death. And um, death spread to how many people? Everyone. And why? Because they all sinned. Now there's some great debate, and, and I'm not going to go there too long today about what that means. But look at the next one. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed or put in your account when there is no law. Talking about Moses, right? That's what he means when he says the law. Nevertheless, even so, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me he just makes the statement, and it's a legal statement, that if there's no law, there's no crime. Right? That's what he's saying. He said, and remember, the wages of sin is what? Death. So the law cannot be put into your account, or, or, or you know, the breaking of the law. The crime can't be, you can't be held responsible unless there's a law. And then he turns around and he says, oh yeah, but, but everybody died from Adam to Moses. And if death comes as a result of sin, and sin is the breaking of the law, is that, what's the word? Fair. Right? So Paul's anticipating the questions. He's going to answer them. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, which is out and out rebellion, who is a type of him who is to come. Now, in your Bible, circle that him and to the side put in there Christ, Christ Jesus. This is, Adam is a type of Christ. Isn't that interesting? And I didn't even say that. Paul says that plainly in the scripture. Verse 15. Now, he, now he's going to contrast. First he com he's comparing Adam to Christ. Now he's going to contrast them. But the free gift is not like the offense. So don't mix the two up. For if by one man's offense many died, right, much more 
the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You see the, you see the comparisons and contrasts? Sin reigns, um, life reigns. Therefore, verse 18, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made what? Righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded what? Much more. And notice that phrase, much more. It's repeated several times. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. Let me just back out of that a minute and, and, and go back to verse 12. His bad, my bad. Why in the world am I paying for something that I didn't even do? That's a fair question. Verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and as a result of that, death, and death spread to who? Everybody. All men. So we can see that this is a global epidemic of sin that can be traced back to one man. Are you with me? And nobody's left out of this thing. It, it's a pandemic. It affects all. But here's the thing you should be asking yourself at this point. Why? What did I do to deserve this fallenness? What did I, why, did I, why, do I, why am I stuck with Adam's inability to keep God's law? And that's the ultimate answer to our question today. Did God create us unable to keep his law? No. Initially, Adam and his resulting counterpart Eve were made fully able to keep and enjoy the law of God. Right? So no, he did not create humanity with an inability. But through the sin, and, no, and we'll get to this in a second, notice it doesn't, does Eve show up anywhere in the New Testament recollections of the fall? She doesn't. There's a reason for that. She does show up one point. And it's Paul talking, and he basically says, she was deceived. She was tricked by the serpent. But Adam, not so much. He sinned with his eyes wide open. He knew exactly what was happening, and he's the one that did it with intent. The rebellion was his. I'll explain more about that in a minute. That's important. So one man, Adam, sin comes into the world. Death comes as a result of that. And death hits who? Everyone who comes after Adam. Everyone. So, the point of the question today is, really, do we have a charge to lay against God? Hey, you made me this way. So, if God made me this way, whose fault is my sin? No. If God made me that way, to sin, whose fault is it ultimately? Yeah, we're always passing the buck. Matter of fact, take your, take your same Bibles and go back to the beginning in Genesis. And I'll show it to you. Let's, let's look at the fall. And let's see what really happened there. Go to Genesis 3. Early on in human history... And 
All right, so we got the whole story. They're in there are doing good. There's one rule. There's one law in the whole thing, and they're able to keep it. And what's the one law? Yeah, there's one tree, and it's a tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. What did they only know up to this point? Good. They had no knowledge of evil. And that is evidenced by the fact that none of them had a stitch of clothing. Clothing wasn't even invented yet, and it was no big deal. They didn't even blink. And we call that a state of, starts with an I, innocence. Can't make this stuff up. I came home the other day, pulling a driveway, and standing on the front steps is Jackson, not a stitch of clothes on, watering the front lawn, and I don't mean with the hose. No kidding. And I got in a car, I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm peeing. <laughs> and you know, what a dumb question, Dad. Why would, you, why would you ask me such a dumb question? Now, there's a reason that that's funny. But however, if I came home and Sam, by the way, it's Sam's birthday today. He's 13 today. If my 13-year-old son was doing the same thing, I'd have a problem with that. Why? Because he's long past the age of what? Innocence. So they were so pure, they were so innocent, God initially created man in such a way that, that such a lack of understanding of evil, no, no intimate knowledge of evil or sin or wrong, that being unclothed was no big deal. There was no evil. And if you think about it, realistically, who was Adam going to lust after? He, there was only one woman, right? Um, so they're in a state of innocence. One rule, stay away from that tree. Now, there were two trees specifically mentioned in the garden. I find this fascinating. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's the one he said, look, just leave that one alone. Because the, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. Die. Important to note this. Very important to note. He does not, God, the Creator, never... Never, never in the historical record says that to Eve. She only says it to who? He only says it to who? The command is given to Adam and Adam only. Then the expectation is that Adam coming first, and as a result, he is the head of all creation, including Eve. It is his job to then what? Tell Eve. And we see, it's very interesting, because God is very specific. Don't eat of that tree, and the day you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. That's what God said, and it's interesting, God tells us that. He gives us the record. You could go to the next page, and you discover he has related that to Eve, but he's added something. When he tells Eve, he says, yeah, don't eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden, and don't touch it. So Adam adds a little bit to it because we'll surely die. And then there's also the tree of what? Life. And that's eternal life. Do you see a tension and a problem here? I've wondered this for so long. God didn't tell him don't eat of the tree of life, did he? Never did. What would have happened if they ate of that tree before they ate of the knowledge of good and evil? I don't know, but here's what we do know. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what's God say? You're out, and I'm sticking my angels at the entrances with a flaming sword. Why? Because if you eat of the tree of life in your fallen condition, what's that mean? You live forever. <coughs> fallen not God's intent there's a whole sermon in there I'll, I'll, I'll move though so here we go let's pick it up in verse 4 then the serpent said to the woman you're not going to die so she, she, she we see what Adam told her in verse 3 and you shall not eat of it neither shall you touch it 
lest you die. And the serpent says, no, you're not going to really die. See, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing what? Good and evil. That don't seem too bad. You're going you're gonna, to, notice what he puts in there. You're going to be what? Like God. Hey, this will help you get closer to your creator. It's a good thing. And I know he said you're going to die, but you're not really going to die. Right? And it sounds like a good shortcut. Boy, instead of having to learn all this experientially, we could just dive right in and we could be just like God. Okay. Right? And this is how Eve is thinking. And that's why she was tricked into it. And she looks at it, everything looks good. It's good looking fruit. I think it's going to taste good. And it's going to help us to be wise. Where's the negative in this? Other than that little command thing, but God will understand. We're going to be like him. Our fellowship will be even better. Be careful of Satan's shortcuts, church. Be careful, because they sound good. They look good. They taste good. But boy, it turns the gravel into your belly awful fast. Man. Check it out. Verse 6, so she saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make you wise. So she took of its fruit and she what? Ate. Now this is vitally important. Everybody look right here. And nothing happened. Don't miss this. No fall. Whoa, 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 whoa. The day you eat of it, you shall surely what? Who'd God say that to? He never said it to Eve. You think that means something? Oh man, it does. It does. You know why? God believes in something called order. And God doesn't break his rules. God doesn't break his rules. And he said, I'm going to take that man and I'm going to put him at the top of this deal. He's the head. Now I'm going to create this woman out of him and it's his job to shepherd her. But ultimately, who's responsible? Him. And that's the thing. You know, I know this whole submission thing rubs women the wrong way. Here's the truth. I can't tell you how many ladies my wife and I have counseled, the couples we've counseled together, and my, my wife will tell them, look, you don't understand. If you ever really understood what this means, it takes so much off of your shoulders, you would be running to submit to this guy. Just because God didn't give you shoulders to bear that, but he did give it to him. It's headship. Everyone say headship. Headship, and headship doesn't mean that you're large and in charge. All the fellows look up here. It means it's your head on the line. Don't, don't get that wrong. It's your head that's on the line. So she eats. What happens? Nothing. And that's not just, that's a pregnant pause in there. Let's go back to that text. Now notice this. And she also gave to her husband, this is vital, now you've got to underline this. Circle the word with. With her. This dawned on me, I, years ago I was reading this. And it hit me. I had in my mind how this thing played out, is that Eve is out there doing her thing. Satan shows up. They have this conversation. She eats it, and then she takes the fruit back home and makes a salad, a fruit salad, and gives it to Adam, and that's how this whole thing goes down. Uh-uh. Where's Adam the whole time, the Scripture indicates? He, I'm sorry, he is right there the whole time, and he's the what? Head. And Satan is talking to his wife, and what has he said thus far? Absolutely nothing. He's already falling down on his job. Because the command was not given to her, it was given to who? Yeah. Him. She eats and nothing happens. Why? Because he's the head, not her. This is vital. You don't have to like it. 
for it to be true. So she gives to her husband Adam who is with her and he what? He eats. You dummy, what are you thinking? He eats. Notice this. Verse 7, you should circle this word. Then. When? Only after Adam eats. But notice this. Then the eyes of what? You should underline that. Both of them. This is important. The old Jewish rabbis understood this. There was no fall until Adam ate. And the scripture tells us later on through Paul, this was taught through the rabbis as well, that Eve was legitimately tricked and Adam ate absolutely knowing the consequences. He was not fooled one bit by what Satan said. He ate anyway. And he was the what? He's the head. And when what happens to the head happens to what? The body. Everything underneath that head. And then the eyes of them both were what? Open. And notice the very first thing that they discovered in the opening of their eyes. And they knew that they were what? They, all of a sudden, the very first thing is not, oh, we're just like God? No. We don't even clothes on. How come that thought hadn't dawned on them up to now? There was an innocence. There was a purity. So what did they do? They make fig leaves. It's a man's first attempt at religion. By the way, the nakedness had nothing to do with them being husband and wife together. It was a fact that before God, they were naked. And they realized they were open completely before the eyes of God. That's what that covering was about. And so they grabbed some fig leaves and they make some quick clothes to cover their shame. Isn't that interesting? Check out the next verse. So they just get done making the first set of clothes. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Apparently this was... Can you imagine what... By the way, let's just stop here. What was that sound like? heard God coming. Every day up to now, that was highlight of the day. But now, what do they do? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Where'd they do that? Among the trees of the garden. This is vital. Circle and star the next verse. Verse 9. And then the Lord God called to Adam and Eve. Nope. Who's the head? And the Lord God called to Adam and he said, Where are you? Come out, come out wherever you are. First game of hide and seek. By the way, no good to play hide and seek with God. He's everywhere at all times. He knows where you are. Was God asking Adam, Where are you? Because he really didn't know where Adam was? No. He was not. Ten. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. Check this out. And I was, two words, afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Wait a minute. Didn't they just make clothes for themselves? Didn't they? First attempt at fixing your standing before God? And our first parents knew it wasn't enough. Because if they'd have been confident in their own works, they'd have went running to God. They'd have been confident in that coverage that they did on their own. They'd have gone after God. And instead they hid. And what does he say? We hid because we were afraid because we were what? No, you weren't. You made yourselves some clothes. But he knew it wasn't enough. Do you know that your works are not enough? And then God asked the $10,000 question, who told you you were naked? Mm -hmm. And been a problem till today. What happened? 
Who told you you were naked? Doesn't even give Adam a chance to lie. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And here's why I'm teaching this lesson today. And Adam says, it's her fault. No, he didn't. He said, it's your fault. It's that woman you gave me. God, it's your fault. I'd have never done that if you'd never given her to me. Or if you gave me a different one. And I don't know how many times I sat across from a couple and said, I married the wrong person. No, you didn't. No, you didn't marry the wrong person. You might have had some wrong expectations. Okay? But you married who you're supposed to marry. How do you know? Because you're married. It's pretty easy. Adam said, hey, not my fault. It's hers. I married the wrong person. No, there's no other person, Adam. There's one. <laughs> I made her already. And look, look what he says. She gave me of the tree and I ate. So God says, okay, I'll play that game. Goes to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, well, it wasn't me. It's the serpent you made. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So God said to the serpent, notice he doesn't ask the serpent any questions. That serpent's dead. All right, because you've done this, you're cursing more all cattle, you're, you know, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go and eat dust all the days of your life. That's the snake itself. And then I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now he's dealing with Satan. First curse is to the physical snake. The second curse is the spiritual snake. Okay, so all this, and then we, we see this... Um, all the way through, and we hand out all the punishments. What, what does this have to do with anything? Our, did God create us unable to keep the law? Is God some kind of cosmic, cruel creator? No. He created our first parents well able. However, Adam, who was the what? Rebelled against his creator. And when he fell, she fell. Stay with me. And not until. Matter of fact, when he fell, she fell. And because he put, God had put Adam over all of creation, guess what else fell? All of creation. Up to that point, everything, everything on that planet ate what Adam and Eve ate. The whole world was vegetarian. And it wouldn't take too long before that fall resulted in what we see today. Nature, red and tooth and claw, as the poet said. All of creation fell. It broke because the head broke. Now let me read this verse to you again. In Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all what? Sinned. Now check it out. What did God say? The wages of sin is what? Death. death. For the day if you eat of it, you shall surely die. die. Alright. Put your... we got to be honest with Scripture. Okay, you just read it. Did they fall over dead? No. Did God lie? Something definitely happened there. And the only clue we have is they realize, hmm, we ain't got no clothes on. That's a problem. Wasn't a problem up until then. So it tells us that something died in them, stay with me, that caused them to be aware that they were exposed. The knowledge of evil. And not just knowing about evil, intimately acquainted now with evil. They drank the poison. And, and did Satan lie fully? Were their eyes open? Uh-huh. You better believe it. And it wasn't a good thing. They were not like God. What died in them is that which caused them to realize and be bothered by the fact that they were exposed before God. What was that? It was the depth of who they are, and it was their spirit. 
Their body didn't die. We've established that. Their soul didn't die. And by soul, I mean intellect, emotion, and will. Did they still have a personality? Yes. Did they still have an ability to th think and to choose? Yes. But something called Adam, something called Eve, definitely died that day. And the only thing left is their spirit. Body, soul, and what? Spirit. The spirit literally ceased to function. That's what death means. You stop functioning within the realm for which you are created. When you physically die, you cease to be able to function and communicate in the physical realm. Does that make sense? Physical body created to interact and communicate with physical earth. What died that day and fully died that day was not their soul and it wasn't their body. The only thing left is the spirit of a human being. And the spirit is the core of who you are. Now stay with me. This is the body is designed to interact with its environment. The soul is designed to interact with other soulish creatures. Who's the spirit designed to interact with? God and God alone. That's the only reason for, for the spirit. That's the only reason for who you really are. Listen to me. You were created for God. You were created for Him to have a relationship with Him, to interact with Him. And by the way, let me just say here, this gives you confidence in sharing the gospel. We ought to be, we ought to be such good evangelists because every person you meet, you meet in your life desperately wants the gospel. It's what they're really after. Now, they don't, they don't know that that's what they want, but it's what they want. Why? Because they were created to have a relationship with God, and their spirit is broken. It is dead. It is unable to have that relationship, and so we chase it through other means. Does that, does that make any sense to you today? And what they want is what you have and what you've experienced. So don't be afraid. Don't be bashful. Don't worry about what people are going to say, because that person that you lock eyes with, who's chasing it through, through lust, who's chasing it through a bottle, who's chasing it through depression, or through, through just uh, escaping in some way or another, what they're trying to escape to is their creator and they can't because they're broken. They are dead on the inside. Their spirit died. And their spirit was the only part of them that was created specifically and solely to have a relationship to interact with and to communicate with the creator. What's that got to do with Romans 5.12. Sin comes through Adam, not Eve. Death is a result. And that's the death of the spirit. But it's also physical death. You know why? You're a spiritual being that has a soul that lives in a body. Here's what I believe happened. I believe the moment that they ate, their spirit immediately died. And I also think that the death principle hit them physically. And they began to die physically. Now, God did such an amazing job creating initially that it doesn't catch up with them for hundreds of years because of God, how God initially created. Then the flood comes. It's global. Some things happen in the atmosphere. No time to go into that. It's called the firmament. It's the filter for all the bad rays from the sun. It's gone. All of a sudden, people are living about as long as we do. Doesn't take too long, and that's the deal. So death eventually got them, physical death. Why? Because their bodies caught up with their spirits. And that's all that happens when we die. All right, death comes about sin. And who does death pass to? Everybody. It's appointed unto man what? Wants to die. And after that, judgment. Here's the question. What are you going to be standing before God wearing? Fig leaves or Christ's righteousness? Because you're going to stand before him. The only question is, what are you going to be wearing? Death passed to all men, but there's a reason it did. Why? Because what? All sinned. Now, let me say this, and then I'm going to share a couple of they're really songs, but in the form of a poem that I found this week that thought explained it so beautifully with eloquent language. And then we're going to sing and go home. 
all sinned. Do you, does your spirit die when you commit your first sin? How old are you when you commit that first sin? Or does your spirit die when Adam sinned? That's the big question. And it's a big debate in Christianity. It has been for centuries. I'm going to tell you where I stand. This is my understanding, which means it could be and most probably is flawed. I want to put that disclaimer out there. You go study it for yourself. Here's what I believe. Adam was the what? Not just of Eve, but of all creation, including everyone in his family, and I'm part of that. I believe when Paul says here, because all have sinned, it's obvious that there's a clause that comes, there's a parenthesis that comes next. And it appears, even in the original language, how the structure is, that what he literally means is all sinned in Adam. His bad, my bad. In other words, when Adam sinned, even though I wasn't in time here yet, I sinned. He said, wait a minute. You weren't born for thousands of years later, and you sinned in Adam? Yes. Yes, I did. When Adam sinned, I sinned. He said, well, that's not fair. That's like, that's like that guy making his younger son dig ditches with the older son. Well, do you remember a, a, an account in, in, in Israel's early history? And it happened more than once. I'm just giving you one. A guy named Achan. Remember Achan? You know, that, 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 that they're going to take Jericho, and God says, look, this is the first one, kind of like the tithe, the tent that belongs, the first belongs to God. First always belongs to God. And he says, so everything, that, all the booty from this city, it's mine. And Achan takes some garments and a few things, not much, but he saw some things, he took them, and he hides it in his tent, right? And then bad things start happening, and they say, hey, somebody sinned. They get, he gets found out it was Achan, and then, of course, the penalty for that sin is what? But who dies? Just Achan? They take his whole family, the children, the little kids, the babies. They put them all in a pit, and they stone them all to death. What in the world? Who is this God would do such a... That baby did nothing. It was stupid Achan. And you kill a baby? Yes, because Achan is the head. And what the head does affects what? The whole family pays. And I want to say this right here. I want to talk to every husband out there today. And God, those of you guys that hope to be one day. You listen to me. What you do affects your family. Listen to me, man. Your righteousness will trickle down to your family and your sin will destroy your family because you are the what? Head. Don't you think you sin in isolation? And don't you think you submit to Christ in isolation? It has massive effects, not just on you, but on your children and on their children. The sins of the fathers are passed to the third and fourth generation. Some of you are called today to break those generational curses. When Adam fell, I fell. What happens to the head happens to everything that the head is head over. Does that make any sense? So no, Adam and Eve, they were created to perfectly keep God's law. But when they fell, when he fell, I fell. So as a result, these beautiful little babies come into the world unable to keep God's law. That's called the bad news. And it's bad news. But oh, on the other side of that, there's great news. There is one who is called the second Adam. And he comes and undoes everything that the first Adam did. Isn't that beautiful? Where Adam fell, he rose. Where Adam sinned, he sainted. Where Adam failed, he was victorious. Where Adam rebelled, 
He submitted. And though the sin of the one brought death to all, the righteous act of the one brought life to all. What a God. What a God. Let me close with this. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, wrote something that just moved me so deeply. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 45, where Paul says, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first one brought death. The second one brought life. Here's what, here's what Watts writes. He says, Deep in the dust before thy throne our guilt and our disgrace we own. Great God, we, though unhappy name, we own the unhappy name whence sprung our nature and our shame. But whilst our spirits filled with awe Behold the terrors of thy law. We sing the honors of thy grace that sent to save our ruined race. We sing thine everlasting Son who joined our nature to his own. The second Adam from the dust raises the ruins of the first. Where sin did reign and death abound, there have the sons of Adam found. Abounding life, their glorious grace reigns through the Lord, our righteousness. He got it. He got it. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. I close with this. Scripture is very clear on this point. There are only two heads in all of human history. There's the first Adam and the last Adam. There's the Adam we know and there's Christ. And here's how Scripture describes it. You can only be in one family. Hear me. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. And interestingly enough, you're born into each. When you are born physically, you are born into Adam's family. No choice of your own. God doesn't even ask. Because when the head fell, what? You fell. See, that baby just said Amen. But you know what? You're also born into the second Adam. You're born again. Through what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. What Adam ruined, Christ redeemed. What Adam buried, Christ resurrected. You see, you don't need a reformation in your behavior. You need a resurrection in your spirit. You're not, you're not sick. You are dead. You are unwilling. You are unable to respond to God. Though you desperately desire it and don't even know it. So here's my question to you. You are going to stand. We're appointing a man once to die and after that the judgment. What will you be clothed in? Adam's fig leaves or Christ's righteousness. Your eternity is hanging in the balance. That is a question we must not take lightly. This is not the ending of a sermon. This is the beginning of a search for truth of where and who you are really in. Don't play with that. Let me get the worship team to come. We're going to sing a song. Rock of Ages. And as they're coming... 
right during Sunday school, I got a call. A good friend of mine has died this morning. Unexpected. And I interrupted Elizabeth's class. I just needed to tell her. And what she said to me is, we never know. This guy was getting, he had plans, man. And he had worked hard and he was getting ready to do what he always wanted to do. And he's gone. He's taken his last vacation. Who are you in? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Are you are you standing firm? Is it on that rock of ages? Or are you trusting in someone or something else? Those are just fig leaves. And they're deadly. We must stand on that rock of ages. We must trust Christ and Christ alone. Because so much is at stake. Would you stand as I pray and then we're going to sing this song together and then we'll sing the doxology and leave this place. This sermon was not an end in itself. For all of us may it be a beginning of a journey to truth. To asking hard and honest questions. God, may you be glorified. May the last Adam receive legitimate praise from the hearts of those who are yours this morning. And Lord, those who aren't and maybe don't even know it yet, would you let them know even right now that they are in Adam and not in Christ, that they're trusting in something they did or their parents did for them. But not in Christ alone. May you reveal to them their nakedness and their sin, their fig leaves, and then may you reveal to them their Christ high and lifted up on the cross. In His nakedness bury their shame and their sin. In His blood covering everyone past, present, and future. So that when the phone call comes that day on their day to the preacher that they have gone through the veil May he know by the testimony of their life that they are firmly in Christ. May there be no guessing, no wondering. May this be done for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Would you sing?